severely messed Artists like their boots are torn to shreds The government will spoil your hopes and dreams By offering a useless retreat and scheme There's such amazing talent, why can't you see That the government has decimated the industry And now the years of hard work have been thrown away Just get a real job Hello and welcome to another episode of Just Get A Real Job, the podcast where we speak to emerging creatives and creatives alike from across the creative industries. I'm recording this week's intro and outro on the back of another interview I just did for the podcast, uh, which will be coming out in a few weeks. And it was, it was such a great conversation, so I'm really buzzed up actually. I, I just love doing this so much. Like It's been a couple of weeks since I recorded an interview and, and I just I forget how much I love doing this. So the conversations we get to have on this are just are brilliant and I'm very, very grateful to everyone that's continuing to tune in. And if this is your first time listening to the podcast, welcome. Thank you for, for choosing to listen to Just Get A Real Job. This is episode 68. So we've got lots and lots of brilliant episodes in the back catalogue So if this is your first time and you enjoy this week's episode Be sure to go back and check out some of our older episodes And be sure to hit that subscribe button as well So you can keep up with the latest episodes when they come out But without much further ado, we have another brilliant episode in store for you this week And joining us on the podcast this week is BAFTA award winning writer Michael Lee Richardson And Michael is an amazing writer They won a BAFTA for their short film My Loneliness is Killing Me We also had a really really nice chat about imposter syndrome And we spoke about what it's like to be a writer in development Lots and lots of interesting things in this week's conversation Got a biscuit? I'm going to, for the first time on this podcast I'm going to actually eat a biscuit while recording the intro not quite good, cheers, man. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not going to say no to a biscuit even when I'm recording it. Elliot, keep this in, keep this in. Um, so I, one of my dear friends and uh, flatmate, Jimmy Balfour, just bars into the room there was recording. And uh, as I say, I'm not going to say no to a biscuit. So that was uh, an Ikea biscuit as well. So we're not sponsored by them, but yeah, that's a very unusual intro. But we're going to keep that in, we're going to keep that in. Um, but anyway, as I was saying, we had a brilliant conversation with Michael this week on the podcast. I hope you enjoy it and I'll be back at the end, and there'll be no more biscuits, I promise. Well, hello, Michael. It's lovely to meet you. You're the first guest of 2022 that I'm interviewing in this year, so I will try my best to, as I was saying to you before, wake my brain up from festive hibernation. No, I'm doing the same. I'm doing the same. I just started back, sort of... I mean, you never really stop working when you're... I'm a freelancer, so you never really stop working. But I've just started back working and talking to people today. So, yeah, I'm probably in the same... Waking up my we're on, brain. We're on the same We're on the same page. It's great. No, I, I yeah. mean, I, this is the first time in my life I've, I've ever done an out-of-office and I've ever had the opportunity to not be freelancing and have a couple uh, weeks off. So it was very weird. Enjoyable, but weird. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's amazing to actually... Yeah, not be sort of working all the way through your Christmas holidays, imagine. Uh, I I say that, but then we were still doing podcast stuff, so maybe I wasn't really off. Maybe I'm not capable of being (laughs) off. I don't know if us creative people are ever capable of fully switching off. Do you know what? I really realise that whenever I take time off like over the Christmas holidays I do really realize that I'm not very good at it so like I try and make that time between Christmas and New Year like a chill time to not do any work but it's really hard I end up like freaking clean I ended up clearing out my spare room during that time like a like a freak because I didn't have anything to do but I also didn't yeah it's like I totally feel that it's like whenever you have a day off if you're not doing something productive 
that's creative or whatever that you you you're like okay well I'll, I'll clean the kitchen today and I've done something with my yes. life you can't just have a day of nothing because you just feel guilty it's it's all different I don't know why that yeah. is yeah I mean if I don't clean the kitchen then I'll start I'll use that free time to start a new podcast or something it's, <laughs> it's not good it's not good to have that yeah. down. no it's, it's difficult it's difficult but Michael for the for the listeners that are tuning in you are of course a screenwriter you're also a writer of books and things and you also have a podcast so you've got plenty of really interesting creative things for us to talk about today Yes, lots of things, lots of things. Don't really know where to start. <laughs> oh, it's okay. That's where I come in, I guess. I suppose that's, <laughs> that's sort of what my job is. But I suppose we'll start the podcast by asking the question we always start with, which is what were your sort of earliest creative memories? Do you remember when you first started writing or got into the sort of creative flow of life? I don't know why I said it so pretentiously there, but we'll go, we'll go <laughs> I liked with it. it. I liked it. <laughs> <laughs> I guess, because kind of thinking about this, and I think my sort of earliest creative memories were like drawing, like sort of visual art. But when I think about it, it was almost like cartooning, but I'm not an artist and I don't, I'm not a great, you know, drawer or anything like that. But I guess it was like telling stories through images, which when I think about it is what I do now as a screenwriter. But when I, when I kind of talk about, when I tell my story to people, I think a lot of writers talk about how they've been writing ever since they could hold a pen and that's not my story or I, I didn't think that was my story. I didn't write my first script until I was 25. I didn't sort of know that one. I mean, I, I knew sort of, I knew that somebody did that, but I didn't think it was something that I could do or that somebody like me could do. But then when I kind of was thinking about this question, I did sort of realise that like since I was about 16 or kind of younger than that, actually, I've, I've always written a blog and I have always written fan fiction. So I think when I was younger, I was really sort of used to writing for an audience, but didn't really consider it proper writing. But I guess it was I think I learned a lot from doing those things yeah no that's really interesting that's quite a common thing on this podcast but when you had writers on and stuff that they said that like they maybe have done some writing in the past but they, they hadn't considered it proper writing whatever proper writing even means probably you know because mm. I personally I don't think there's any such thing I mean writing's valid in whatever form it takes but the way that we perceive it maybe as a society or in our own heads is that like oh this isn't proper writing so I can't be there for a a screenwriter as a living or whatever for example yeah yeah it's like I, I think it's weird I think it's almost that like that was stuff that I did because I enjoyed it and it's almost like if you enjoy doing something that it can't be real or proper or you shouldn't be making any money out of it or anything yeah no it's, it's the curse of this industry I mean this sort of name of this podcast is sort of designed to to tap into that idea because it is mm. that idea it's like if you're you know it's not a real profession it's not a real job do you know what I mean and it's like well it is and you it can be that and it could also be fun and enjoyable that's the ideal I guess mm, no and it should be I think I mean I, I think about this a lot because I, I you know I come down on both sides of it because like a lot of the time I'm like you know spooning about on the sofa because I've you know I can't can't get this scene right I can't do this thing right and then I'm always like all of the men in your family from your dad backwards worked down mines and your mum had about eight different sort of cleaning jobs while you're a kid and just fucking get a grip because <laughs> you're like really privileged I, I think I'm really privileged to be doing what I'm doing but also at the same time it is fucking hard work sometimes and I think a lot yeah. of people don't necessarily think about that hard work bit or even recognize that it would be a thing yeah 100% 
no that that's also like again a, a very common thing on the podcast it's like the idea is like people's in the background their family maybe did a, a more traditional working class profession for example and the idea of them working in you know tv or film or being a publisher or any sort of creative profession almost feels illegitimate because they're like well we that's just not what people did where I grew up and that is obviously again untrue but it's a narrative that we maybe tell ourselves especially in those of us that are from working class communities and stuff and it makes it really hard to break into the industry sometimes I find. No definitely I would, I would definitely agree with that but it is it is such a narrative because it's like to think about this like if I wasn't doing this then then somebody else would be so you know somebody's got to got to be doing these jobs and I'd rather it was me to be honest. With there you go and, and, you, and you, are doing, you, you are doing it I mean you'd want a blooming BAFTA for god's sake you're doing very well but we'll come on to that soon and my sort of follow-up question to the first one which kind of again ties in quite li- nicely to what we've just been talking about but it's about how where you're from has had an influence on you as a creative person so and, and I'm correct in saying that you grew up in Glasgow right? Um, I actually grew up in Northumberland I think I'm from oh, two places I, I grew up in Northumberland like the northeast of England until I was 18 and then moved to I grew up in like a little sort of ex-mining village called Limehouse just a real sort of small place that it's hard to get to and from a lot of the time and I yeah moved to Glasgow when I was 18 so I've now lived in Glasgow almost as long as I lived there so I think I'm from both of those places and but I think but I think they're both kind of in terms of that question about creativity and how it influenced creativity kind of when I think about I think there's like a northern sensibility to my work like a northern England sensibility to my work Mm. that I think you can see in like writers like Sally Wainwright and Paul Abbott and like especially TV writers I think Russell T Davies has it even though he's not technically northern uh, he's Welsh it's like a sort of earthy sense of humor and like a focus on sort of everyday people no matter how sort of fantastical or sort of big the world of the story is and I think that influence is also in I've got a bit of a mission in my work to sort of write about working class people and working class communities and like expanding the types of stories that we tell about working class people and the way working class people are represented and yeah that can be really hard work in this industry 100 uh, percent. yeah not not out of any like you know i've kind of encountered a couple of things recently that they did put me in the wrong mindset with this stuff i think a lot of your work you're often like pitching work to producers and then it's got to go through commissioners and then it's got to go through like their boss and their boss and their boss until i don't know all of these places have about nine different layers of <laughs> of people that you never see or meet or hear about and I think you know often those people are people who just don't have the experiences that I've had or that a lot of people I grew up with or people that I know have had and it can be hard I think that means that we see a very narrow idea of what it means to be working class on telly or in film and I just want to do whatever I can to make that a bit more expanded yeah, I'd like to think it's getting better. I think there's still a long way to go, though. I totally agree. And it, there's a, so many factors for it. I think just in general, I mean, again, as we, I'm probably repeating what we were talking about about five, ten minutes ago, but it's just as an industry in general, from the story, not just from the stories, from the people that work in the industry, it's such a privileged industry. It's so hard to work in it. And if you come from a working class background, it's particularly harder to break into it because you don't have the necessary skills or connections that you sometimes need to get into. It. And it's it can, you can it's still doable. It's absolutely doable, but it's just a lot harder. No, I, I think that's true. And I think it's, 
it's not even the, I think the breaking in is half the battle. And then it's, I don't know, there are things that I've found particularly weird rolling with it. Even from like, from like small things, like if I have to go down to London to like go for a meeting or like a writer's room or something like that, for a long time, I just wouldn't have been able to afford like my train fare or accommodation and for a long time I would feel really stupid asking for it uh, yeah I, I think yeah you do encounter quite strange things and often quite small things but they do all kind of add up to yeah. often making it difficult yeah and they're often very as you said they are often very small barriers that people might even consider but I think <clears> COVID <throat> might have helped with that in the sense that I think as we are doing now speaking on Zoom I think people have realised we don't all, we don't need to go to you know we don't all need to go down to London or whatever to have these big meetings we can do some of them online and that is much more economical and makes much more sense yeah and I, I mean I don't know if it would have happened otherwise but I think as a writer it's been quite interesting all of this stuff because I think I've been involved in like meetings and conversations over the last two years that I just I wasn't involved with before like sort of casting and talking to different people about different things but I think it's because we've all been able to do them on zoom rather than like having to travel places to be in the same room with somebody yeah 100% it's certainly helped but I sort of wanted to take you back as well to when you were talking about moving up to Glasgow at the age of 18 and stuff what and obviously you were saying you didn't start writing your first sort of screenplays and things to 25 but what were the sort of next steps in your sort of late teens early 20s like in your creative journey what did you what were you doing and what what sort of things were going on at that time so I moved up to Glasgow to do an English degree just because I liked books and didn't really <laughs> I wanted to do a degree because I should and it was sort of the only way to get out of this very small village that I was from but I did that and then graduated and I think like a lot of people with English degrees the only other people I'd ever known with English degrees were English teachers so I trained as an English teacher for a year and I said goodbye to my kids at Christmas I taught for three months said goodbye to my kids at Christmas and I was like I am never fucking coming back here because I hate it (laughs) and I always think that I got like my like my plan b job or my like fallback job I always feel like I got that out of the way first so (laughs) everything else I've done since then is like this has got to work out and you've got to find a way to make it work I guess so it was after I'd, I'd kind of quit teaching or retired from the teaching profession there was like a what do you call it, like a BBC Writers' Room competition. I always kind of think about this and it's kind of quite strange how it all worked out, but it was a BBC Writers' Room competition for writing sitcoms. And I wrote the first script for that. The script I wrote wasn't a sitcom and it wasn't even really a comedy, even though it was, you know, funny. And it, it didn't sort of place in the competition or anything, but it did. I did end up having a couple of meetings with people from BBC Writers Room and from BBC Scotland through that, that sort of, I don't know, it was that kind of encouragement, I think, that made me sort of keep going as a writer. And, and that script got me onto a master's course at Glasgow Caledonian University. It's got master's in writing for television and I got like a scholarship to do that. Um, I wouldn't have been able to do a course like that or a master's at all without that scholarship but sort of from there I guess I've been writing and doing stuff ever since that's amazing yeah no that's great I actually haven't ever spoken to anyone that's done that course because I did I did a screenwriting course at uh, Screen Academy Scotland but it's sort of the only other one in Scotland but what was mm. the what was the Cali one like was it good did you enjoy it? it it was good I think it was good for me I think because I guess television is 
is and always has been my interest like I've had people talk about you know why don't you write theatre and stuff like that but the answer to that is I never really went to the theatre when I was younger and I don't have habits of going to the theatre <laughs> and so yeah television is like the the thing that I, I know the best so I think that course was really good for me because it's really focused on television although it's, it is really focused on like continuing drama so soap basically which I think I learned a lot of really useful stuff through that like in terms of story and structure and kind of I think I think it helped me like learn the language of television which is what I was missing at the time and I think it sort of having that language and being able to speak that language meant that when I was going into rooms and when I was talking to people I sort of was on the same page so it was really useful in that that respect yeah no 100% I, I always sort of say to people because it, there's no right path in this industry whatever profession you do and a lot of people are like you know not sure if they want to do a master's in for something like screenwriting for example but it, it's different for everyone it can be really good for some people are not as good for others so but that's interesting you did the course and I'm glad that it, you know gave you the tools and sort of as you say encouragement as well to push on as a writer yeah I was, I was slightly kind of reticent with that because I think you know like I, I agree that I don't think you do have to do I would never want to suggest that you do have to do a degree even or do a master's or anything to sort of get into an industry like this even though it, it often feels like you do I think you know what it gave me was that language and also the kind of because it's quite a sort of small course and quite a tight-knit course I've known a lot of people who come out of it not just in my year but in sort of years after me and I think that was sort of the invaluable thing is like creating that I hate the word network but you know what I mean it's, I, th- I think the ne- the word network just means your friends like your past yeah no it, it's fine <laughs> but, honestly this word comes up on this again I, it's so important though like network or friends whatever you want to call it like people are so crucial in this industry it's, it's so mm. dependent you need them you need them yeah like I think you just need uh, like uh, in any sort of creative job I think as a writer you need other writers around you and I think particularly like I think probably like yourself like I'm from a working class background I don't know anybody in my sort of from my family or from my friends back home who are doing what I'm doing so I think you need people who you can kind of talk to about things yeah like like-minded people are so important in this in this game mm-hmm. yeah and just like yeah yeah i hate that word networking though because <laughs> i think it really puts people off yeah i i don't like the idea of just being friends or something because you see that you're going to get a career boost from being friends with them if that makes sense i just love meeting and talking to people for the sake of it as you know it's nice when they do something that you are interested in and, and, and do mm. a similar thing but you know yeah. it, it's i get what you mean it sort of almost feels a bit like usury if that i don't know if that makes sense no i, I yeah I think that's why it puts me off because it's like yeah I think you have met people who do that thing of sort of cozying up to people that they think are going to get them somewhere and not be interested in anybody else then I don't think that is useful because I think you can get you know in terms of there's just as much out of being friends with other creative people from other sort of mediums and stuff as well like you know I learn stuff from my friends who are journalists or from friends who are filmmakers and stuff like that sort of as I do from other writers so yeah yeah make pals but also be cool with 
Yeah, I know, hundred percent. A great, great, great advice. Well, I, I know obviously you'd, you'd done some books and stuff as well, which I'll, I'll probably ask you about in a second. But I obviously wanted to talk to you about your BAFTA winning short film, "My Loneliness Is Killing Me," which I, I haven't seen because I tried to look for this before we interviewed you today, but I haven't seen it. But I will hopefully be able to watch it at some point. But talk to us about that and what that was like. Because that must have been quite incredible, like getting the BAFTA and stuff, and it just making something you were really passionate about. Yeah, I, I send you a, a link and stuff. It's it's a very weird little thing because it's available in a few different places to watch for free but then there are also a few places where you can pay to watch it and I don't see any of that money so I don't know where it is going (laughs) (laughs) so yeah it's a a short film I guess the sort of logline is two men who are both lonely in their own way meet for a hookup and discover that they've got kind of more in common than they thought they had it was commissioned through a thing that doesn't exist anymore called the Scottish Film Talent Network, which is sort of, it was a a sort of branch of Screen Scotland that funded sort of short films from uh, emerging filmmakers in Scotland. So I wrote that, I wrote the script and it was directed by a guy called Tim Courtney, who's a fantastic director. Yeah, it's just a, a story that I was really passionate about telling and, but but also quite a sort of, I think, I was surprised along the way with everything with that film. Like, I, you know, we pitched it basically with a logline and a bunch of here's why I want to write this story um it's quite a sort of small intimate nuanced little story and I was quite surprised for it to be sort of shortlisted and then even more surprised when it got funding to be made and then even more surprised when it won a a Scottish BAFTA because it yeah just sort of not the sort of film that that sort of thing happens to (laughs) yeah um often but that must have been an amazing moment I imagine that must have been like such a nice feeling to have like because as you say I think when you set out to do something and you don't expect it you're just doing it because you love it you're not like going out of your way to do you're not you didn't just write it so it would run a bath you know what I mean you wrote it because you were passionate mm. about it and you loved it so that makes it yeah. even more special I imagine yeah definitely like it yeah just a st- just a very strange night for it <laughs> um like it, it was a it was a Scottish BAFTAs in 2019 won best short film it's quite a strange experience because I when we got shortlisted for the BAFTA there's three films in the running and I hadn't seen either of the other two at that point but for some reason I just sort of knew it was going to win I don't know why <laughs> I knew in a sort of spooky way but um yeah a really nice experience but the, the thing I always kind of remember from that night as well is that well two things is that I text my mum as soon as we'd won to be like oh we won the Scottish BAFTA for this and she's like oh well done and then she's like your dad's got a new blanket and sent me a picture of my dad under this new blanket and I was like oh it's great to know that <laughs> got somebody to keep you grounded at all yeah. times. Oh, you need you do need that though I'm, and I'm you sure definitely do. I'm sure she was still proud of you as well but you know oh, I think definitely. You just, like, you know, it's good to be brought down sometimes you know I, I was just home for Christmas in my hometown of Office, and it was like and I'm not slagging this place off, but it was actually quite nice to just go home for a few weeks and be like, okay, don't get ahead of yourself, Mr. TV man now. Do you know what I mean? Like, you remember where you're from? <laughs> no, I think it's I think it's really important. But even like like that night, they we kind of went for about four o'clock or five o'clock and they were giving us like drink since we got there. And it was about nine o'clock and they hadn't served food at all. And I was like, I'm absolutely fucking bluttered and I need to eat something now or else I'm going to get worse. So I had to go to, I ended up going to the Merchant Chippy next to Central Station. 
for a, a, a sausage supper on the night of the BAFTAs. Yeah, just <laughs> love, love it. To keep yourself grounded as well. <laughs> oh, 100%. Do you, do you ever suffer with imposter syndrome as a writer? Because I definitely have that as a creative like all the time. I, I, yes, I do. I think I used to more than I do now. I think I've kind of got to a point now where I know what I'm good at as a writer and I know what isn't my strength. And I also know, I think, I know how to talk about my work now, which is a weird thing to say because I, d- I don't think I did in the past. I wasn't very good at like pitching stories and story ideas and like telling people why I was going to write something and why it should be me that writes it. So I think I've gotten a, a lot better at that over the years, but I definitely do still get a bit of imposter syndrome just in terms of so it's a funny little thing because I think every time you cross a sort of milestone in this industry you find out that there's another secret milestone waiting for you <laughs> slightly <laughs> up the road that you couldn't see so often it's about yeah just sort of lagging your way towards the next milestone I don't know I don't know if that's a very good way of looking at it I, I think that's actually a really good way of looking at it and I, I'm actually I, I'm concurring with that I've never thought a bit like that but I think that's actually really true so I like that no that's I just thought I would ask because I think a lot of guests do and I think more people have imposter syndrome than people might think and I think there's nothing wrong with it so I appreciate you being open about that as well I, I think there's another thing that's like I, I used to get it when I went to like you know you go to like a networking event or something like that I used to be like I used to keep catching myself and being like oh I'm not supposed to be here Mm. sort of that that weird imposter syndrome feeling of like I'm not supposed to be here I don't know what I'm talking about I don't know what I'm doing I don't know what any of these people I'm not on the same page as a lot of these people but I think I got to a point where I was like, I don't know, even if I'm not supposed to be here, I am fucking here. So I've got <laughs> to do something with that or else what's the point? Why did you come? If you didn't, if yeah. you didn't want to be here, you could have just stayed there. <laughs> so yeah. yeah. Well, well, the takeaway from from what we've been talking about tonight is definitely keep lagging your way to the next milestone. I'm going to I'm going to use that. That's what, <laughs> I love it. I love it. Hello, it's Jamie here. You may have heard this advert several times before, but if not, this is basically just me taking a minute to remind you guys that if you're enjoying the podcast, there are a number of things you can do to help us keep growing. Now, as many of you might be aware, the podcasting landscape is incredibly saturated. And I mean, there's lots of podcasts. We all love podcasts. But it's very difficult for independent podcasts like us to sometimes break through and to be noticed. So doing things like sharing us on social media, word of mouth, and just telling friends and family to listen, or even leaving us a little five-star review on places like Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts go so far in helping us to keep growing. Me and Elliot adore this podcast. We love making this podcast. So if you're able to help in any way by doing something like that, we'd be incredibly grateful, not just for our podcast, but if you love any independent podcasts, please try and give them a wee share or give them a review because it it goes so far. Another thing you can do if you enjoy the podcast as well, and we appreciate that this is a very difficult time, but if you're enjoying this podcast and you want to help us, you can donate as little or as much as you like to our Patreon page, and you can do that by going to patreon.com slash justgetarealjob, or you can click the link in the show notes. Anything you can afford, we are very grateful for. Thank you for your continued support, and I hope you enjoy the rest of today's episode. Well, Michael, would you do you mind t- t- talking about some of your books quickly before going to? So I've got some quick fire questions, but like I know you'd written like well five books or stories or sort of collections of poems and stuff. Like, do you want to sort of talk about them 
quickly. Yeah, as chugging alongside my sort of screenwriting stuff, I write, I just write a bit of everything. Like I write prose and poetry and had a couple of children's nonfiction books published last year. And I'm, I'm writing a novel at the minute. I've got a Scottish Book Trust Fellowship to write a, a novel, which feels slightly daunting because it's totally new to me and that sort of storytelling doesn't feel like it comes naturally but yeah just a a few different bits and bobs my lockdown project last year was writing a collection of poems called you can't love yourself which is all about RuPaul (laughs) I mean it's quite a, a weird little sort of they're all basically jokes like a really extended joke where RuPaul is like a monster and she's existed throughout all of space and time. Like it is just a sort of a weird <laughs> thing that was funny to me, but now other people seem to like it. Sounds better. No, I, I, lo- I can see the cover of it on your website when I was doing your research and it's quite a, <laughs> a, it's quite a funny little cover. I like it. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think, yeah, I think as a writer, I think it's always useful just to like try your hand at anything that you can and anything you do will be useful to you in some capacity along the way, I think. Yeah. 100% all feeds back on itself definitely no matter what you yeah. do like the amount of stuff that I'll like learn from doing this podcast in my day-to-day job as a script editor or when I've written scripts in the past they'll feed back in do you know what I mean it all ties in it, it honestly does and it, it, I love that I love how much everything can influence everything else in your sort of life and art mm. It really does. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I quickly, I should probably mention as well before we go into the quick fire questions. You have like a podcast on the go at the moment as well, don't you? And it's kind of t- very TV based, and it's called a very special episode. It is. It is a very special episode. It's kind of. I think because I listen to a lot of podcasts, I'm a big sort of podcast fan. I listen to a lot of movie podcasts and I was kind of thinking about, I wish there was something like this, but for telly. So when I couldn't find that, I just made it. (laughs) So all of my guests so far have been writers of some capacity and I talked to them about their favourite episode of their favourite show. And yeah, it's been really useful, actually. To It's a really nice to, concept. I like it. Yeah, and it's just nice to like, I think it's been such a nice excuse just to talk to people that I would want to talk oh, to. Oh, it's the best. Anyway. It's, the, it's the best, Mike, honestly. There's, there's the whole, it's so great. Like, you get to just message people you don't know that you think are interested or you think are cool, and then you just get an excuse to chat to them for an hour, as I'm doing right now. So it's, it's always great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that's really interesting. And that's available on like all major platforms and stuff, right? Yeah, although I wasn't very sensible because I I named it a very special episode without checking and there's about seven or eight podcasts with the same name so you might have to do some digging to find it but I like that as part of the you've got to really work for it if you want to listen to this podcast <laughs> yeah well we'll put a link to it in the show notes so people can go check it out. thank you and is that does that come out on like a certain day every week or anything as well or yeah I'm on I'm on a little hiatus for January but it usually comes out on a Friday cool 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 well people want some Friday fun they can go and listen to a very special episode and uh, yeah, I'm sure it'll be good. And the, as I say, link in the show notes as always. Well, Mike, I've got some sort of quickie fire questions for you now. And don't, I always say quick fire, but you don't have to be quick. You can take as much time as you need as <laughs> supposed to answer them. I, I never prep people these because I sort of make them up a bit. So good luck. <laughs> Apologies in advance. Some of these are tough. Excellent. My first, my first sort of question is if you could write anything from history that's been made, like a film or a TV series that's already out, but you you could have been the person to have written it, what would what would that be? Uh, oh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Nice. The series, not the movie. <laughs> <laughs> I've never actually watched it. Oh my god! Oh my god! You're you're missing out, but you've got yeah. a, a lot of really good stuff to catch up on. 
I've heard, no, I've, I've actually heard from friends and people over the years that I should definitely check out and I, I probably will eventually. There's so many great shows like that, but that's a good answer. That's a good answer. And the next one is what's your favourite line of dialogue that you've ever written yourself from oh one of your, your own scripts? And that's a really tough question, I know. Oh, that's a really hard one. Oh, this is so specific. The one that comes to mind, it's from like what is basically my spec script at the minute. So it's not been made, but it's it's a, a guy says the line here she comes hufty the dyke which is like it's a it's a reference to a tv presenter from a show the word which was on in the 80s that i just think re- you have to be a real real one to know why that's funny <laughs> but, but if you get it you'll really think it's funny so like to the, yeah. the six people that laughed at it and it's history will have really enjoyed it <laughs> <laughs> no i do like an obscure reference and stuff it's always nice when you like feel like you'd earned it you know that's yeah good. and I'm, I'm the next question because i sort of read on your twitter and stuff and your website but like you are quite a big fan of the 80s aren't you yes yes definitely. Yeah. so i wonder i, I was going to ask what, what's your favorite thing about the 80s oh my god like everything the music and the <laughs> movies and and the, the weird sense of optimism, I think, and the <laughs> sense of hedonism of the 80s. That's why I like the 80s. <laughs> no, it's a good one. I've never asked anyone that. See, that I love these little specific <laughs> questions. They're quite fun. So that, no, that's a good answer. Do you have like, a favourite film from the 80s then or anything? Two, I think. Well, three. three uh, give them all. Three. Give them all. You can yeah, have them. <laughs> I mean, one of my favourite films ever is Return to Oz, like the weird haunted sort of sequel to the wizard of oz that was made in the 80s as a sequel i didn't even know that that's amazing it's yes it's very strange it starts with dorothy going for electroshock therapy like oh my god psychiatric hospital and it gets weirder from there so um wow that and then pretty in pink classic love a film where the plot is just she wants to find a dress to wear to go to prom uh, <laughs> and then the lost boys obviously um, oh, i really need to see that. love a spooky vampire film i really need to see that it was on bbc iplayer and i missed the boat i think but ah, i'll get around to it eventually <laughs> definitely worth a watch definitely yeah no, that's a good little bonus one thanks for answering that as well Michael and Sam have just moved to Santa Carla, California. They're about to discover its secret. Notice anything unusual about Santa Carla yet? No. It's a pretty cool place. If you're a Martian. Or a vampire. Another one as well, which is always fun, but who would you say that your sort of biggest influences as a writer are? Probably, probably Russell T Davies. Like, if I'm honest, like, I think there's lots of like cool answers that I could give to that, but it's Russell T Davies. I think he is interested in a lot of the same things I'm interested in as a writer and often takes the same route to them as I do so i think yeah and just that like earthy sense of humor and pacey stuff i'm really into so yeah and and just like whenever i'm you know i'm I'm writing something at the minute that's in commission development yeah i've gone i I went back to queer as folk and it's a sin 
and just to sort of remind myself of what I really like about his work and sort of try and apply it to my own. So mm. yeah, Russell T Davies. That's a great not answer. A very, not a very quick fire answer. To no, me. no, don't worry. What do, what do you make of him going back to the Doctor Who? That's that's quite exciting. It's really exciting. I'm really excited for it. I think there's a lot of people who think he'll go back to Doctor Who and do exactly what he did in 2005. And I think that is not the case i think we're going to see something very very different but i'm really excited to see what that is i think he's somebody who i love telly and i think russell t davies gets telly like gets how it works and why people like it so i think it's really exciting to have him he, he lived he, li- he lives and breathes telly the man mm. yeah amazing mm. that's a great answer this is sort of a new question which i'm just literally making up a total random and i'm nick i've kind of taken inspiration from this i was going to pass this off to my own but i listened to the adam buxton christmas special podcast mm. and they were talking him and joe cornish were talking about the the voices of uh you know the tills you get in the supermarket like the auto mm-hmm. tills or whatever you would call them self-checkout yeah, yeah, yeah. The vo- I, now this is a very random question and you probably never thought about this in your life but i'm gonna ask it anyway right do you have a favorite supermarket voice on the self-checkout till is it like a voice oh that you like the most? I'll, I'll give you mine if it helps. I quite like this. I quite like the corpse one. It's got a smoky voice. It's good. I like that. Oh wow! <laughs> well, I, I was about to say I don't know if I have a favorite, but I definitely have a a least favorite. So well, we could that accept helps. that instead. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, it's no the... one's ever thought about this in their life. This is such a ra- <laughs> I mean, you, they always say as an interview, ask them a question they never heard. So I guess that. <laughs> well, the 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 Poundland ones. I'm a, a a frequent Poundland customer. The Poundland ones. They always have lots sort of a bit. Like sometimes there is like an Elvis voice, <laughs> uh, and then obviously over Christmas it's like a Santa voice, and I hate it. So I'm just like, I'm just here to buy like sellotape and some pens or something. Quantity needed, hound dog. Well, it's one for the money, two for your car. Insert your car. Well, thank you very much. And I don't need this. I'm not here to be entertained. I just <laughs> want to buy my stuff and leave. So that's my least favourite one. And I can't think of what my favourite would be. I don't know. <laughs> Do you have a favourite supermarket? Like, I don't know. We can accept that. Well, my favourite supermarket, I guess, is B&M Bargains, which was my my sort of... I have such a special place in my heart for it because it sort of saved my life during lockdown, I think. I sort of... It took lockdown for me to realise how much just going for a little look around the shops is part of my, like, personality and routine and, like, how I work through stuff that I need to do. And when all the shops were closed, going to B&M Bargains to buy, like, a candle or a nail varnish or something was a real lifesaver. <laughs> no, that's great. This has turned this is turned this has turned into quite a deep conversation about supermarkets and stuff. Yeah, I got very yeah. very passionate about oh. being embarked. No, I love it. I love it. I don't know what I don't know you know that's a very random question. And you're I'm sure no one's ever gonna ask you that again. But um, <laughs> thank you for, for being with um, I just have three more questions for you, Michael, as we sort of wrap things up because I know we've been speaking for about 45 minutes. But a question we always ask on this podcast well, and because I, I think failure is very important and I don't think we talk about failure enough as a society and and celebrate it because you learn from it but do you have like a failure that's really helped you get where you are now in your career and you think that you'd really learn from and you don't have to talk about this either if you don't want to I may add um yes I think I do and I think it's it's quite specific I think for a long time I, I think I wanted to work in telly and I think it took a few real flop moments 
for me to realize that I'm a writer and that I just want to write for like telly and film. Because I used to, I used to like go for interviews for like all sorts of jobs, like runners and researchers and jobs in development and stuff like that. And I just, I, I, I didn't do very, I, it was always crap at the interviews because I didn't really want to do them. I would just sort of telegraph how much I wanted to write for telly during them. But it took, it took me a long time to realise that it was actually the writing where I needed to be. And the, the one specific experience that, that was the last time I went for a sort of job in telly like that, it was for, it was for a job at Hollyoaks, like a a sort of entry-level job at Hollyoaks and it was so weird because I was staying with my friend who worked at Hollyoaks at the time and he showed me how to get there to the studios but I'm dyspraxic so I find it really hard to like find my way around so I kind of had to look up the the place where I was going on my phone and I ended up literally lost in the woods surrounding the studio and I could see the Hollyoaks like studio, like the fucking school and the pub and stuff from where I was. But I couldn't see how to get in. So I had to throw my bag over a wall and jump oh over a wall to get in <laughs> for my interview. Because it was like, I was like, my interviews are like one minute and how am I going to get there? So I'm like, I'm probably on some fucking CCTV camera, like some weirdo jumping over the wall <laughs> to get in. And yeah, so it turned up like sort of sweaty and covered in mud and then basically just told them that I really wanted to be a writer all the way through the interview and and I think that experience did a lot of reflecting on it afterwards and I was like I'm not going to do that again because it's not what I want no that's so a failure I, don't I think no I think it does I think that's a very good answer and um I actually think it's quite important for people to know because I actually love work for example I, I was a writer uh, and mm. I sort of had an opposite thing where and I might go back to writing I'm not ever ruling out but I had an opposite experience where I kind of was like I like writing, but I'm not sure I have the patience. And at the moment, it's really what I'm, I would like to do in my life And because I'm a very mm. creative person. So I went down the opposite river. I decided I really, really wanted to work in TV development, which is amazing. And it's what I'm doing now. And I found that like, by just, I think by being very op- open and honest about the fact you actually didn't, I was very, I'm rambling a wee bit here, but I, I sort of was the opposite and sort of focused in on the fact that I was a writer and how it was no longer for me, but there's a lot of skills within that. And, and I think that really helped me in getting the job I have now. Mm. So I, I think that's a really important lesson for people who maybe want to work in TV but don't want to be a writer is to make sure people know that and if you do want to be a writer and you still want to get a job in TV maybe just don't mention that you want to be a writer to the people yeah. at the interview yeah. I suppose yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean it was terrible because I used to go for all these bloody interviews on soaps and stuff and there are people that love soap who like live and breathe soap and then I'd get asked the question of like oh what's been your favorite storyline recently and it would be like one from like one of the four episodes I was able to watch on the train up here because I just <laughs> was not I don't know there's something about it where I just yeah I, I, I thought it was what I wanted but I clearly wasn't and it took me a long time to realize that yeah I think that can happen and that's what the journey is all about and um, but thank you for sharing that I really appreciate it just get a real job. second last question of course, the name of the podcast is Just Get A Real Job. And we'd all had to work jobs we didn't like to pay the rent, to pay the bills. And we'd all had horrible part-time jobs in our lives, but well, most of us have anyway. But do you have a job that you really didn't like that you'd had to do to support yourself as an, a writer and an artist in your life? You know, you know, I was kind of thinking about this question and I, I think I kept kind of thinking about stuff and then it was like, actually, that wasn't that bad. Like I've worked in every sort of retail and like different environment. I was like, that was actually fine. Like, you know, there was stuff that I liked about it. But the one that the one that does stick out 
is I, for about four years, like sort of on and off, I worked in the school uniform shop that's in Argyle Street Station in Glasgow, which was an absolutely <laughs> fine job. And it was <laughs> mostly just folding jumpers and like talking to the three old ladies that worked there. But for the two weeks before the schools went back over the summer holidays, it would be the worst, most horrible job I've ever had in my life. <laughs> like my, oh, no. my like one of my real standout memories from that job. And I don't know if you're able to use this kind of colourful language in this podcast. No, swear away, swear away, don't worry. <laughs> a, a woman asked me, and I wasn't being sarcastic, I promise you, but a woman asked me what kind of jump or what like size shirt she would need to buy for her seven-year-old. And I was like, well, it you know, it depends on the size of the seven-year-old and she called me a cunt <laughs> walked oh out my God. I was just like this is I'm not being paid enough like four pound an hour or whatever it is to get called a cunt <laughs> yeah so that was a real experience yeah no 100 but thank you for answering as i say like it doesn't always have to just be a bad job it's just i think it's a good question to ask people because we all have to work jobs in our careers in this industry to, to sort of get where we want to be and i just think it makes people feel better that are maybe listening and that are still working a job they maybe don't want to do forever and, and you know i think it gives them a sort of smile about it we'd all have to do the same thing at one point so uh, thank but you for answering that i think you'll even in a you know i guess maybe come on to this but even like when you're working in like a creative job you'll have to do jobs that don't maybe feel like the passion project or like you know where you want to be but I think you can get something from everything that you do so yeah I've got a lot of material from all of those shit retail oh, jobs 100 percent yeah 100 percent. you see the absolute best and worst of the human condition I think oh yeah absolutely do yeah 100 percent. any customer service job but I, I can't remember which previous guest said this but they said a very similar thing which is like you can take something positive from every job and experience you do mm. and and use it in your art 100% actually Michael I, was, I have one last question for you but I, I actually realized I hadn't asked you about this so I'm going to quickly do it now I know you also do quite a lot of youth work with your experience and stuff so how do you find that and like because I think the creative industries are so important and to use to help the young younger generation yeah I've actually just finished a job I, I, I used to I guess my sort of part-time job for the last couple of years I worked for the Royal Conservatoire of Scotland on a program sort of I mean the sort of thrust of it was getting kids from working class backgrounds into the creative industries and, and getting them to consider the arts as as something for them and as a potential sort of career path so I just finished that before Christmas kind of weird because it's the first time I've left a job and still actually liked the job when I was leaving it you know I've run some jobs into the ground in the past but I think it's really interesting because I think for a long time I was like waiting to leave youth work behind in order to sort of start my career as a writer but I bring a lot of skills from that job and a lot of sort of knowledge and experience from that job into my career as a writer that I wouldn't necessarily have thought about before but I think it's really important to just like talking to young people and letting them you know I'm doing a, a sort of part-time kind of series of workshops in a school in the east end of Glasgow at the minute and I think it's just really important to like show kids that like you know you don't have to have gone to like the right school or the right university or the right the right accent to to get into these kind of jobs and you know it's all about 
telling your story and telling it with authenticity and yeah don't know if i'm just rambling on now. no you're you're, re- you're really There's not something I'm, in that <laughs> no there is there abs- no there absolutely is in all in all seriousness and I'm, it's a great thing what you've been doing and I, I you know it's very important and you know your story is important and that's why it's great that we can have people like you on this podcast to talk about your journey as a creative to, because if people can hear this and they can be inspired by it then that's that's amazing and you know it's very important youth work so you know kudos to doing that and i think on that thing of like bringing stuff from it like i've kind of realized in the last sort of year or so i bring a lot from youth work into writers rooms with me like because one of my sort of pet projects is that nobody actually runs writers rooms they just expect them to run on their own and they don't (laughs) Um, you do need to have somebody steering the ship and sometimes I can kind of bring stuff from that to help with steering the ship, I think. Definitely. Very important. Yeah. No, 100%. And as, you, as we were saying earlier, everything ties into everything. And, you know, you can get skills from anything you've done in life, tie into another job or whatever. But I've got one more question for you. And I've, I've really enjoyed this conversation. So thank you for, for giving oh, up your time. You. But my last question is sort of just to round off. And you'd, you'd offered some great advice already. But what would your sort of closing advice be to anyone that maybe wanted to work in the creative industries in general, but particularly wanted to be a screenwriter? Yeah, I, th- I think kind of you, you said about it, it all sort of feeds back into each other. I think you use what you've got to get where you want to be. I think I think when I was thinking about my answer to this, I think there's a fine line because I think that the really important thing, especially in screenwriting, is not to be snobby. Because I think a lot of people can be snobby about like, oh, I'm not going to write for soaps or I'm not going to write this. I, I only want to do this thing and this is all I'm going to do. And I think if that's the case, then you're not going to get very far with it because no. you, know, you don't get to make, uh, I don't know, a Marvel movie if you've not ever done anything before, which is what a lot of people think is going to be their experience. But I also think like you need to figure out what you want, like look at what you like watching and what you like writing and sort of pursue that like mad but also just like you know do every gig that comes your way like I've done every sort of weird little writing gig that I can to be where I am now like I wrote jokes about dogs for a CBBC show that was one of my first gigs that I did as a writer and like was that (laughs) my passion to write jokes about dogs for children not really but you get stuff out of that and like I made contacts out of that that I still am in touch with that I've gotten you know gigs from recently so everything does kind of come back and feed into itself so just like look at what opportunities there are around you and kind of and and pursue them to the best of your abilities I think oh Michael thank you thank you very much for that that's 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 fantastic advice and I really appreciate you giving up your your Wednesday evening just after Christmas and New Year to to chat to me tonight I appreciate it no it was a lovely chat sort of eased me back into the to talking to people off face <laughs> no me too me too it's get, helping me get ready to take that out of office of my email tomorrow morning oh, so. no. <laughs> back to the real world but thank you and and you have obviously got lots of stuff in development um, at the moment and your podcast is in the show notes as well so be sure to look out for for michael's work and you can also follow him on twitter and things as well We're all all this stuff's linked under the podcast but michael thank you very much for your time much appreciated thank you it's been lovely 
So there you have it. That was my conversation with Michael Lee Richardson. Thank you again to them for giving us their time. Much appreciated. Be sure as well to go and check out their podcast and their website. Links to that in the show notes. And as always, thank you very much for listening to this week's episode of Just Get A Real Job. This podcast was edited by Elliot Mitchell and the artwork is by Amy Dinsdale. And if you enjoyed the podcast, please consider giving us a subscribe. Please consider sharing it with friends and family. If you're a regular listener or patron, thank you even more so for your continued support. We are an independent podcast, so we are very much on our own when it comes to things like marketing and funding. So we depend on the support of people like you and those that listen to us every week and support us. So as I say, we are very, very grateful for that. And even doing things like leaving us like a little five-star review on Spotify or Apple, like you have no idea how far that goes in the podcast game. So, you know, anything like that is much appreciated. But we hope you enjoyed another brilliant conversation and we'll be back again next week with another episode of Just Get A Real Job. And I will not eat a biscuit on the intro ever again because I don't think Ellie is very happy about that. Just get a real job.